Thank you for tuning into the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. My name is Colin, and I am your host. This week's episode is with Dana Van Rennerham, and I hope I pronounced that right because I butchered it. Actually, I chose not to say her last name at the beginning of this episode because I was afraid I was going to butcher it. So, Dana, I'm sorry if I butchered it. Anyways, this episode is packed with a bunch of information and a great story and insight into the struggles and the development and growth of Dana and also some of the growth and development in my life as well and we got into talking about OCD we even talked about cancel culture we talked about acknowledging our strengths being able to accept compliments complimenting ourselves doubting everything just a lot of different things that we could both relate to. And also, Dana shared with us her struggles with an eating disorder that she hasn't really spoken about a lot. And I really appreciate her for being honest and open with us about it. So I hope everyone can appreciate that as well. But let's get right into it. Enjoy this new episode. If you like it, make sure you leave a review and keep listening Hit that follow button. New episodes every Monday. Welcome to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast, everyone who's listening. Uh, today, we have Dana on the podcast. I always butcher your last name, so I'm going <laughs> to let you introduce yourself because I am terrible with uh, certain last names, and yours is one of them. Uh, so I'll go ahead and let you uh, introduce yourself and uh, kind of give us an idea of what you wanted to talk about today, and then we can kind of get into it. Yeah, well, I mean, you've known me for like 10 years at this point, Colin, so I'm a little disappointed that you can't say my last name. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. the only thing, it's that G, it throws you off, it's silent. Yeah. So yeah, I'm Dana Van Renerham. Um, Fun fact, I was I was Colin's sister's roommate in college, so that's kind of how we sure. got connected um, many years ago. Um, and I guess I'm here today because I am really fond of, you know, what Colin's doing with his podcast and just the whole mental health mission. Um, I'm actually a social worker, so I've been, you know, in the field of helping for a while now. But um, that all stemmed from having my own struggles um, with mental health throughout my life. Um, I can remember the first time that I felt depressed was in sixth grade. I have a very vivid image in my head of what that looked like and what that felt like. Um, I can remember the exact moment when I became very aware that, you know, something something's off here right yeah. like this this might not be what most other sixth graders feel uh, or think so just really care about uh the importance of sharing stories with one another to, so that you know we don't feel alone yeah it's very important and i feel like a lot of people 
And that's a, that's a theme that has people that have struggled, especially since they were younger, they kind of remember that exact moment or that exact like event that kind of started you down that, that path, that, that kind of just dealing with different disorders or different mental health diagnosis, starting to go see therapists, psychiatrists, or, you know, going to the, going to the emergency room because you don't want to be alive anymore. I've had that situation. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things. It's like, it's weird that people can pinpoint that. Cause I can't remember a lot of things from my childhood. No, I no. I, can I get that. that too. I get that too. Because like I do, like even my therapist today, today will ask me the question, like, you know, oh, yeah. what, what were you like as a, as a kid? And, and I was like, I don't, know what you want me to say like i have i have no recollection you know we're gonna have to bring in a third party here no and and we did that was the next prompt you know she was like you know you ask your family ask your family and your friends and and, you know they gave me these answers and i was like oh i don't know how i feel about that like yeah so it's weird how i don't remember a lot of things from my childhood but you know this really you know, it, it wasn't a significant moment in the moment, but looking back on it, it's just like, well, shoot, there it is. Yeah, that's when it started. So it started with depression then? Yeah, I, I like I said, I was in sixth grade and I was, you know, I lived upstairs on the second second floor of our house and, and my room was kind of unique. It only had three walls and where the fourth wall should have been, there was just a banister separating like my room from the stairwell which sounds really weird. And my siblings had it much better off than I did with their fully enclosed rooms. But I just remember like, and this is, this is such a weird story. I was standing up there and for some reason I had a, like a gallon of water in my hand standing at the banister. And I like threw the empty gallon down the stairs. And I was like, I wonder what it would be like if I like threw myself over this railing right now, like Ooh. down the stairs. Right. Right. And it's yeah. like, that's not a normal thing, or it doesn't feel like a normal thing like for a sixth grader to be yeah. thinking, right? And it, you know, that's the first moment I can recognize just being like, ooh, like, what is that? Um, and it, it caused a lot of guilt. It caused a lot of anxiety. It's just like, why? It, it made me question, why am I feeling that way? You know, like, what does that mean? Where do I go from here? And I really just like kept coming back to that. <clears throat> So when did uh, you start really talking about it or sharing that with your family or a counselor or anything like that? How long did it take for you to open up about that? Yeah, it took a minute. Um, So that was in sixth grade. And I remember like a couple of times just like feeling immense anxiety at school and like Mm -hmm. being sent to like student services to the counselor's office to like talk about things. But like I I didn't talk to them about anything like those weren't my people. Yeah, just on the surface like yeah like i don't have anything to say to you like that it's your job to be here like i don't i you're not the ones i want to connect with and even my family like i'm i'm very close with my family today my family has always been very loving and supporting but we very much were a family that didn't necessarily like talk about serious things looking back now like i can recognize that and kind of see how that's shaped some of my communication patterns that i've had to combat but i really didn't start like actively talking about things until I was a sophomore in high school and things got really bad. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, um, as a sophomore in high school came to terms with some things with my identity came out as gay. Um, Also was, as I was struggling with that was struggling with self-harm. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, when my family was informed of that, not by myself, but by um, a school counselor, uh, that's when things, you know, at that point in time, I was I was forced into a situation where I had to start talking about it, Um, which isn't necessarily like an inpatient. Um, At that point in time, no, it wasn't an inpatient. It was more just like, okay, we're going to start talking about this. You know, it wasn't and I this language isn't a thousand percent correct, right? I should be really careful with the words I'm using here. But like, it wasn't like extremely serious self-harm. Um, it was more of just like, a, I need to feel something, right? Like there was yeah, no yeah. chance that what I was doing was mostly just scratching at the time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like almost giving me an opportunity to make the steps I needed to before doing something more serious, right? So I started seeing a counselor. Um, I was prescribed medication as a sophomore in high school. Um, and I have a really interesting experience with being medicated um but yeah when things got tough as a sophomore in high school is when i really started um you know interacting with mental health services for lack of better terms i never had a counselor that i liked until i was in college yeah Um, it takes a little while sometimes yeah definitely um yeah so that's kind of where it all where it all started was the counselor in college was one of those like on-campus counselors yeah, um, her name her name is Michelle. Um, she was on campus at Central, and it it was always really interesting because you know my buddies and I all all saw Michelle, and we all really loved Michelle, and I, and I've heard of plenty of other students from Central that have seen her since the fact, and I think she's moved on now. But yeah, it was it. We were really lucky to have access to that free service on campus. I know that like access to mental health care is like an issue, especially in the state oh, yeah. of Iowa. Um, so yeah, it was, it was on campus and it was free. Um, I mean, if yeah, you, you and I had it too, I utilized that when I was at Northern Iowa for a little while. Yeah. I mean, if you take into account the amount of money that we paid to go to central, it's definitely not yeah. free, but <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. But. So that was, that was a nice little perk that we had. Um, it was nice because I could, I could sign a waiver. She could talk to, you know, she interacted with my coach. Um, I played softball at central. So he was very invested in making sure that I was healthy outside of sports to make sure that I could be the best athlete in, in, um, in sports as well too, because there's a lot of overlap between, you know, your mental health and how you feel and how you can perform academically and athletically. So it was nice just to have like a start to really feel like, or have evidence of like, people in my life genuinely caring and that I could honestly open up to and feel not judged by. Yeah, that's very important. And it takes a while because you just feel like, yeah, no one wants to hear about this shit. <laughs> like, you know, to put it bluntly. Um, right. And you're like, I don't want to feel like a burden, things like that. You get those kind of thoughts. And yeah, when somebody actually wants to help and actually you can tell that you know, this may be their job, but they actually are doing it because they're passionate about it. Not just because so I've had a therapist, I've had therapists before where I'm like, this feels very transactional. Um, this doesn't feel very, um, intimate at all. Uh, right. And so I've had to move on. And luckily, uh, I've been really using utilizing telehealth to my advantage because telehealth, because, uh, there's just so many more options out there. And, you know, since the pandemic, I had to use that option anyway. So then I've just kind of stuck with that. And it allows me to 
try different therapists out. Like I'm using better help right now. Uh, and I've been able to switch therapists once so far and it allows me that I've been trying to tell people about telehealth and everything like that for a while now, since the pandemic started. And because people are like, I can't find a therapist. I can't find a therapist. I'm like, well, did you look online? They're like, well, I prefer to do it in purpose uh, in person. I'm like, I get it. But at the same time, it's better than what you're doing now, which is nothing. Right, right, right. And and this is kind of like a nerdy part of it, though. But like coming from a social worker in me, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite of being like, oh, I, I didn't want to talk to those people because they were getting paid to do it. When at the end of the day, like that's what I want to do with my life. Right. Like yeah. when I finish my degree. And there's a lot work, of people in that field that are like you. Right. That are in the field because they get it. Yeah, they get it and they 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 care right like i just yeah. joke that i'm just good at talking and listening to be like talking to and listening to people but it does give you a perspective um that not everybody has um so i think that to create a little bit more space for that it's important and like you mentioned you know covid really changed things um prior to covid you had to have like special licensing as a social worker or as a therapist to provide telehealth those restrictions were reeled back um and loosened during COVID and there's kind of in this liminal space right now of not knowing what's going to happen. So yeah, I think that you're definitely right that like while those services are still like more readily available to people, we should be taking advantage of them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And what was I going to ask? Well, so my train of thought there for a second, but uh, for when it comes to, uh, being a social worker are you currently working with adults or adolescents right now because i know you've done work with adolescents adolescents in the past uh yeah so because i know with adolescents like when i was a kid and even a younger adult i was like what do you know you know i you know i'm not gonna listen to you right Um, yeah i don't know if you've dealt with that in the in the past you know the yeah so right now kids Absolutely. Um, yeah. So right now I'm in, uh, I have about 10 weeks left of my master's of social work program, um, but I'm actively working at the same time with youth. So I work with LGBTQ youth uh, advocating for them, but I have worked with at-risk youth in the past. So my background is in residential treatment with mm-hmm. at-risk youth. So a lot of, you know, for lack of better terms, shithead kids, but I love working with shithead kids because i I understand that, you know, their their behaviors are that way for a reason, right? They're not not just acting out to act out, right? Yeah, it takes one to know one too. <laughs> yeah, but like people just write kids like that off. They're just like, oh, they're being delinquent, they're being yeah. juvenile, like that they're being an issue. No, like they're trying to tell you something. And so the approach that I've always taken when I work with kids is just to like get on their level. Like, I'll sit there and I'll tell them, like, you're being a shithead. Why are you being a shithead? Like, have have a conversation with the people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not even about being blunt. It's about just, like, being human with them. Like, I'm not going to sit up here. I'm not going to sit up here on my pedestal and be like, I'm the adult. You're the kid. Like, this isn't acceptable. That's not going to change anything. You got to get to the root cause of the problem to make any progress to move forward. Yeah, they don't want to. They don't want to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the adult. You listen to me. Check out. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
describe what you're doing now as far as uh working with lgbtq community and you said youth specifically yeah so i work for a place called iowa safe schools um okay we're the we're uh you know an lgbtq youth advocacy group in the state of iowa um we advocate for the youth in three different ways. So we have a legislative team that works with legislators uh, as far as policies that will impact the students. We have an education department who provides professional development to teachers and school counselors and school administration across the state as it um, as far as like, you know, what are the best tools that we can use to support all of our students in that space, because we know that that's where they spend all of their time. Um, And then I work in the youth engagement team that works directly with students in schools um, with their GSAs, gay straight alliances. So uh, do a little traveling then? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, But I also work with parents and families. Um, So, you know, like I mentioned earlier, my, my family was always very loving and supportive. Even after I came out, they were great, always loved and accepted me. Um, that's not the case for all parents. Um, you know, there's, there's always people at the end of the spectrum that are just like their kid comes out. They don't want anything to do with them. My job as a parent family coordinator with my organization is like the parents that don't completely fall off the end. Like they're like, okay, I'm struggling with this, but I I love my, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't get it, but like, I love my kid. You know, my job is to work with those parents to inform them of, you know, the truths behind the fact in the situation and really come from a place of empathy and be like, it's okay that you don't get it. These are some some steps we can take to make sure that, you know, the relationship with your child remains um, intact and that they feel supported by you while you find support, too. Right. Um, Because it can be a really difficult process and we need to give parents and caretakers space to to have those feelings, too. Yeah, you know, I mean, when it comes to certain things, like you don't have to necessarily get it. You just right. have to have empathy and understand, you know, and respect that person as a person. That's really what it boils down to. Right. Like, you know, my family is very Catholic, um, very, very Republican. And, you know, that nobody's bad at an eye. My 86 year old grandma, you know struggled for a bit but started to ask questions you know and it's the same it's the same for mental health like when you're having conversations about identity when you're having conversations about mental health like it's okay to have dialogue it's okay to not have answers but when you find those people that are safe you can have conversations you can ask questions in a safe space to learn and to grow i know a lot of people struggle with the especially right now it's kind of like a a hot butt button topic is the the identity thing because a lot of people don't get it like they're just like i don't understand the whole the pronouns thing and what's going on like well you... it's it's really funny when people say that though because like literally everybody has pronouns and yeah. literally everybody has a gender identity and literally everybody has a sexual orientation yeah so it's like you get it you just don't except diversity you know like you you can't bend your mind or open your mind to see life from somebody else's perspective um and that's hard but like like you said like they can't get it you know you can't fully understand the experience of somebody else that's why you know i always i always when somebody asks like what does the world need more of i think that a lot of the world's problems would be solved with empathy like mm-hmm. we can't fully understand, but we can try to see from somebody else's perspective to kind of walk with them and things. So 
but yeah, it's, it's a hot topic because people, you know, you can't understand something that you don't understand. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, that's where I come from. Cause I'm like, I'm a, very much a straight male. <laughs> Tragically You're... straight is what my, uh, <laughs> one of my gay friends tells me. Uh, <laughs> he's like, you're the most straight dude I've ever met in my life. I'm like, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but all right. Um, and so from my perspective, I'm just like, I don't necessarily understand understand it, but I don't really have to because it's like, it's not impacting my life whatsoever. <laughs> like, Right. I, yeah, because I, 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 you know, when it comes to, I'm not going to get too political, but I'm very middle of the road. Like, I don't. I see like both sides of everything of the coin. I also grew up a middle child. So that's kind of part of it. I think. <laughs> um, and uh, that's why I have that joke where I rip on my sister and my brother, um, which is one of my favorite jokes that I've written so far. Um, but it's just like, yeah, I don't have to necessarily fully grasp it. And I even had, uh, I don't know if you listened to the episode I had with Corey Jacobson, we where we talked about it. Um He's actually the uh, president of Pride and Cedar Rapids. And we talked about that for a little bit because he struggled with it, too. And, um, you know, he's a little bit. I think it's um, also, you know, once you get older, you're kind of at a certain point, you're it's harder to grow and change your ideas because you've thought this way for so long, you know. He's yeah, not that much older than me, but he's just, you know, he, he wasn't, it took him a little bit while, a little bit to adapt to it. And he just had a lot of conversations with people about it is how he learned. Right. And I like, I don't want to sit here and be like, I'm perfect in this. So like the, the topic you bring up of like unlearning things that we've been taught oh, is really important. And that's, tough. that's something that we talk to our students about a lot too. And, you know, again, I'm not going to sit here and claim to be perfect when it comes to like things like identity as a person who's I'm, I'm 29 years old right now. I came out when I was a 15 year old a, a sophomore in high school. I have so much internalized homophobia that it's it's unreal right like there are still things in my life every single day that i struggle with right there are days when i'm like wow i wish that i could just be quote normal it would be so much easier to not be the me that i am um and that's really hard sometimes and then that kind of just adds to you know we haven't talked about it yes yet but i'm i'm diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder and when i start to have those thoughts i hyper focus on them and it really just spirals into something else um i start that spiral about like god it would be so much easier not to be like this i wonder what everybody else thinks about me and honestly a lot of my work in therapy right now is thinking about how my identity as a queer person and my internalized homophobia related to that amplify some of my behaviors you know i don't feel good enough because of this piece of my identity i have to be perfect and everything else to make mm. up for it so yeah. people like me and people love me and people care about me and i can rationalize that that's not true you know i can rationalize that oh, my yeah. family and my friends love me but emotionally i'm just telling myself that i'm trash all the time because of this one little thing and i don't necessarily even notice that that's the thing but that's the area where I've always felt like I'm not quite good enough. I'm just a little bit that extra, different. Yeah. 
Yeah, That's, the doubt disorder. Yeah. The, the the first time I listened to your podcast, that was the episode that I listened to. And I remember I sent you a message after that. And I was like, I have never heard OCD described that way. But holy shit, I doubt everything in my life. Yeah. I don't. There are some days when I don't know what is real. Yeah. Yeah. The I, I just, I don't even know if I said it on the podcast or if it was somebody else. And if I said it, I stole it from somebody because somebody told it to me uh, because it stuck with me, too. Because as soon as I heard it, I was like, yep, that is what it is, because there's always going to be that little bit of doubt. But we want we want 100 percent, and but we're not going to get it. And we have to accept yeah. that. And that's part of the therapy that yeah. for OCD for, you know, if you're doing ERP anyway or. CBT cognitive behavioral therapy. There's all the all the acronyms, but right, right. Uh, yeah, I'm always I'm always searching for control in some. Oh yeah, in some capacity, you know, whether it's what I put on my schedule to keep myself busy so that I'm not sitting and and thinking the entire day, whether it's obsessing over what I'm putting in my body or you know any of that. I just grasp for any amount of control that I have, even if it's work or group projects for schools like i want to be in control and i'm very uncomfortable when when i'm not because i'm 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 like that all the time in my head you ever notice like you get to a point where you don't want to start doing something because you know it's going it has to be done perfectly where you just won't do it or you'll avoid doing it you eventually do it but you'll avoid it's, doing it. That's how this wall is behind me right now um, <laughs> that I've been working on. It's painted. There's a bunch of tape there, but like it took me so long just to prep that and like get all the lines like perfectly straight and level. And I was just like, and then I had pencil marks and I was like, I got to erase the pencil marks. Otherwise I'll get in the paint. And I was like, I could have, and I eventually just had to accept that I wasn't, it wasn't going to be perfect. see what's what's a big bummer for me is like i don't i don't do things like that like i very much just schedule myself with like things that i have to do so for me it's like school work your scheduler yeah i'm a scheduler i'm like school work workout you know and so what's tough is for for me is that like a lot of the things that i'm really like obsessing on or having ruminating thoughts about are like just daily activities it's not like a it's not like a special project that I'm doing to like make my living space more regular. It's like I made a meal and the meal is warm right now and I really want to eat the meal, but the dirty dishes from the meal are sitting in the sink. And I can't eat the meal until those dishes are done because it's making my skin crawl. So like now I'm going to end up eating cold food, but like the dishes are done and my sink is clean and my skin's not crawling anymore. So uh, it's like, yeah, it's like, shoot, you know, it's give or take. sabotage yourself. Yeah. Just to, yeah. Cause that's compulsion. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and that's, we talked about like not remembering things from our childhood, but I was just talking to a coworker about this who also um, has an OCD diagnosis. And like, I can remember growing up every night before I would go to bed, I would walk to our front door and grab the handle and like shake. I can feel it right now when I talk about it, like I would go shake the handle to make sure it was locked Yeah, and I would walk away and then five steps later, like I would turn around and walk back to the door. Like I was so scared 
that something was going to happen to my family and I, like I, and in that moment, I wasn't recognizing, like, again, like most little kids probably don't do this, right? Like they trust that their parents lock the door at night. But I would but go even back. after checking, you would go back and check. Again. I would go back. That's when you go know. back again. Because, you know, in your head, you're like, this is stupid. Why? I couldn't well, control it. I, I control had it. to do it. Had to do it to relieve that anxiety. It's just it's because uh, that's why when I talk to my therapist, she's like, that's your OCD brain. And then there's your reality. And then there's your actual <laughs> brain. Right. And I. That's something that I'm working on right now, too, is like having the conversation of is this the when I have intrusive thoughts, for example, like, mm. is this actually Dana? Like, is Dana having these thoughts yeah, or yeah. is that your disorder? Right. You know what? What is true here? And it's getting a little bit easier. Um, yeah. Just to verbalize that to myself in my head that like that's not at, that thought doesn't align with your values and beliefs. That's not you. Right. And just having that conversation with myself has become a little bit easier. It doesn't mean that I don't have any anxiety at all. Like I have to acknowledge it and then set it over here. And there's still anxiety about it. But I don't feel like I'm as bad of a person for that thought because it's not mine. Yeah. Recognizing that and then taking a step back and not immediately going to self-hate mode and that i'm really good at that yeah me too i'm really really good at self-hate mode yeah yeah because it's like almost because you've been doing it for so long it's a habit at this point it's just like immediately that's where your brain wants to go because oh you had that thought you're a bad person boom but it's like that's why therapy is important because you can slow it down and separate those thoughts and be like oh you got to remember your values and what's really important, what you really believe in. And, and then you're like, oh, that doesn't align with it at all. And you're like, right. oh, that makes it a little bit easier because I've had all kinds of, yeah, messed up intrusive thoughts over the years. And that have made me just like, am I this terrible monster person? I'm just like, and then it just got to be at a point when I was uh, in my, it was probably my early, it was my early twenties where I was just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm checking out. I was like, but I was too, sounds bad, but I'm too, I was too lazy to kill myself. I was like, I know I want to die. I just wish somebody would kill me. Like, you know? Um, and I remember going to the emergency room and uh, I told that basically told them what was going on. I was like, this is, I, you know, described my intrusive thoughts and what I was talking about and or what I was thinking. And they're like, yeah, everybody has those thoughts. You're just getting stuck on them. Like you just can't let them go. Like other people do people, normal people just have like a bad thought. And I go, that was weird. And then they just keep moving on with their day. But if you have OCD, you're like, nope. Yeah. That was bad. They're like, they're like, it's a thought and it's going down the stream and you just watch it pass away. You're like, no, this, these are raging rivers and I cannot get out of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. Yeah. yeah then they it's... just gave me an Ativan and I felt awesome. So, and then, <laughs> then I, then I went on my merry way. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I like, I, I have had. You know, like I mentioned, like I started really, really struggling when I was a sophomore 
in high school and things kind of like ebbed and flowed like while I was medicated while I was seeing different providers like throughout high school and into college um after college I moved away um from my family and and away from my sports system I moved down to the lake of the Ozarks and that's where I was working at, at a residential treatment facility down there um and that was when I had my first hospitalization and it was just like I I remember um you know, I, I had left the lake and I was driving home to my parents' parents' house and the entire drive, the four-hour drive, I just saw these really bad pictures in my head. You know, I saw myself crashing my car. I saw myself dying. Like, I didn't want those things to happen. I, I wanted to stop feeling the way that I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, I wanted those pictures to stop. That's all I wanted. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't think that that was asking for too much. Mm-hmm. Um and I made it three hours and 50 minutes in that car ride feeling like that the entire way, right? Sobbing and just spinning and spinning and spinning in my head. 10 minutes from my parents' house, I, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't. I've never wanted to kill myself. I've never wanted to die. I just wanted, wanted the pain to stop. Yeah. That's all I wanted. Yeah. And so I was, thankfully, like I was able to pull over in that moment. And I, you know, I parked my car, but. I, and I tried to call. I tried to call my parents. I tried to call them. They weren't answering. Called my sister. She answered. Um, but by the time that she answered, I was like pretty actively, like for lack of better terms, beating the shit out of myself in my car. You know, I was banging my head on the steering wheel. I was hitting the window. I was hitting myself. Um, thankfully, my sister was able to get a hold of my parents. Um, and like I said, I was only 10 minutes from their house. So they very quickly came and got me and, you know, pulled me out of my car, took me to the house, whatever. And the next day, um, I checked in, I was checked in for about a week. Um, and mostly I slept, you know, I slept a lot in the, in, in that week. Um, it was, it, yeah, it was a really weird experience. Um, slept for, for a week straight, basically had some conversations with, where some was doctors. this at? Cause you're, this, you're from which part of Iowa again? So I'm from Oskaloosa, but I Oscar actually Sam. went back to Missouri that day. And checked myself in in Missouri. in Missouri. So I was in, yeah, I was in Jefferson City, Missouri. Got it. Um, was there for a week, got out for two days, and then went back for another week. Um, when I got out for those two days, like I was heavily medicated. I remember I tried to go to the gym and <laughs> try to go to the gym because I love working out, right? It's a really big, important part of my life. It's it's one of my only coping skills, unfortunately. It's become but, a good coping skill for me too. I get it. Yeah, it's so good. But like I went to the gym and I remember just like in the middle of in between sets of squats, I just like started sobbing. <laughs> it was like after having no exposure to any stimulation for an entire week, I couldn't function in the world around me. So I had to go back for another week. Um, a little bit more invested this time, like participating in, in the group activities. The like yeah, yeah, not sleeping the whole time. Um interacting with my peers um and again was extremely heavily medicated when i got out um you know on and off stuff a lot of different diagnoses that i don't necessarily think actually fit with medications just thrown at me which led to their own handful of issues but like i don't know you know it's it's so you've been misdiagnosed before you think oh yeah you know bipolar one bipolar two but different doctors during the same week being like yes you are no you're not it's just it at the end of the day it doesn't matter to me um you know a diagnosis in 
social work world is literally just for insurance purposes, right? Uh, I think that through therapy, you can learn different coping skills, right? If you if, if you have a diagnosis, it's easier to identify what some of those coping skills may be. But labels suck, right? Like, yeah. I think that the only reason that those labels, again, are necessary in the professional world is for insurance. But if, you know, you can find maybe where to start, um, like I said, it can kind of help identify some of the things that you can work on to combat it. But other than that, I don't think we need to sit here and be like, oh, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, you know, like, I don't know that I've necessarily even like had a conversation with my family about that diagnosis or about my generalized anxiety disorder or my major depressive disorder or my, my eating disorder. I know that I've only talked to one family member about that. Right. Like at the end of the day, as long as I know the things that I struggle with, I can have conversations yeah. with my therapist, with the people that I care about, about how we can work to combat those. So with the, I know we wanted to talk about the eating disorder. When did that start? Kind of, that's not something you've dealt with since you were a kid. That's more of a recent thing, right? Um. Well, well I think that's, that's a complicated answer. So I okay. started on and off maybe. Yeah, I started wrestling when I was in third grade. I wrestled for a couple of years. Okay. Um, and I would say that like the start of my hyper awareness related to food and my body definitely started when I had to start wrestling. Well, not when I had to. I wanted to start wrestling. You had to cut weight but and stuff. I didn't even necessarily have to cut weight, but just the idea of having to adhere to weight classes mm. definitely um, played into that. But I would say the first time that it got so, you know, you know, the society and the culture we live in, like the standards of beauty that we live up to. If yeah. you're skinny, you're beautiful. And if you're fat, you're not. Right. Yeah. Um, but I would say it definitely got much more difficult and much more prevalent. And my behaviors started to be more like not just restricting. So like when you're little and you're wrestling, like maybe you have yogurt and a cheese stick and some broccoli for lunch. But in college, when I actually started, you know, thinking about, I know you wanted to talk about this too. Um, I'm an MMA fighter. I've been doing that since I was a junior in college. But when it became serious like that, like I'm going to compete in this combat sport mm -hmm. and I do have to cut weight, 100%, I started binging and purging. You know, I would eat and I would make myself throw up because food is good. I'm somebody that like very much loves food. I love flavor. I love trying new new things. I don't want to give up eating that good food. So you know exactly. what? I'm going to eat it and then I'm going to go throw it up. And I feel so guilty to this day because I remember I was living with your sister the first time I did it, right? We were living in the pods and it's just like, oh my God, all my teammates are out there and I don't know if they know what I'm doing in here, but I feel shitty about it. Um, and the thing about eating disorders is that they're so complicated for athletes. Because, you know, you you want to perform, you want to be at your peak performance, um, but you also, like, are fighting this thing that is telling you, like, your body's not good enough, right? You're not skinny enough, you're not thin and food enough. food creates you, energy. Yeah, and so, so it's that. like this... It's like this rock in a hard place. Like I can either like keep withering away with my body and maybe like aesthetically look like how I look a little bit more. But if I do that, then I'm not going to be able to go perform on the field or in the weight room. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, too, that a really important thing to mention about eating disorders is like I was never a small kid. 
Like if you look at look at pictures of me from my childhood, like I was a chunky kid. So chunky kid, I was a chunky middle schooler, high schooler, and even into college. I, my body didn't start to change until I was actively participating in a lot more like heavy exercise, you know, playing college sport, participating in mixed martial arts, you know, things like that. And so I think that it's hard to have an eating disorder as a person who's bigger because like, you know, I heard this in a, in a poem one time, if you have an eating, dis- like if you're skinny and you have an eating disorder, you go to the hospital. But if you are a bigger person and you have an eating disorder, you're a success story because people see your body change, you know, and people see you lose fat and appear to be more healthy mm. physically, but they don't understand mentally yeah, and emotionally how yeah. difficult that is. Right. So even now I'll interact with people and they'll be like, oh, like you look great. And it's really hard to figure out like. Do I take, do I take that as a compliment? Like, did I not look good before? What, what do I do with that information? And so I think that yeah, just piece of advice to anybody out there, like we should never comment on people's bodies, right? You know, ask people how they feel. Don't comment about like, oh, you look like you've lost weight. You look great. If they bring it up in the conversation, you know, just ask about like, oh, you've you've been making some changes in your life. Like, how do you feel about that? Because you yeah. never really know what the cause is. Yeah. Talking more about like feeling and how people are actually doing, regardless of like, you know, that small talk type of thing on the surface conversations. And I'm yeah, I'm almost too much for people sometimes because I'll get to talking about just like start getting into like deep conversations with people and they don't know how to take it um, because they're not used to talking about, you know, nobody's ever asked me that or, you know, stuff like that. And um, I've tried to make it more of a habit to do that. I think I think I've actually done I just do it automatically now and from doing the podcast and um, just from, and also being in recovery because uh, in going to meetings, we have very open conversations about what's going on in our life. You know, this is why I want to get high today, or this is why I want to get drunk today. You know, uh, it, you know, it very much, um aligns with 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 me mental health with my mental health and addiction it goes hand in hand because i was out there i was just trying to fix myself like i i know that um i was trying to find the right concoction the right way to do it and i failed miserably terrible chemist and so i was (laughs) like i gotta cut all of this out and take a different path and yeah just uh being in and also comedy has also been cool too because people have just like conversations and talk about stuff that you know whether it's on stage or off stage about stuff that you know i don't have conversations with comics that i do with like just a person at the office or something right because most of them are pretty messed up just like me <laughs> and yeah it's uh most of the yeah it's it's very well known that um 
that stand-up comedians uh, suffer from some type of mental illness or addiction or something in their background because it's like a form of it's like a form of therapy. Like the the art form is a form of therapy for them, and right, it's been another good creative creative outlet for me, and it's it's fun. It it can also be really tough when you get up there and nobody laughs and you're like, Oh, I'm a piece of shit again. (laughs) Like, uh, but I don't look at it that way anymore. I'm just like, Oh, what did I do wrong? I I look at it a different way. Now I have a different perspective on things. It took me a long time to get there. I still, you know, I still go into that mode where beating myself up. I'm not good enough. I I'm always thinking about like, I need to be doing this. I'm not doing this. And not and not really giving myself credit for the things that I am doing well at. It's always like, but you could be doing this. It's kind of that perfectionist. Um, and it's almost like I don't want to give myself the credit. And then I also don't want to get into a place where I'm like getting egot- egotistical about like, right. I have a really big fear of like, I don't want to become that guy that's like, bragging about everything that he does i don't want to be that guy you know i've had a conversation with my friend about that and i was like i was talking to my friend andy she's like as much as you tell people about what you're doing people who know you know you're not that guy i'm like it doesn't matter (laughs) it's like no it's a it's a really fine line to walk because like like you you said it like you're, you're trying to learn and you want to grow but like it is it's so hard to like compliment yourself or to think about the strengths that you possess like even like back to like the eating disorder stuff like i why do i want to change my body you know like i when i sit here and i think about the things that my body can do like this is this is what the important people in my life tell me like think about literally what your body does for you every day you fight mma you participate in jujitsu, you ran a marathon, you ran an entire marathon without walking or stopping. Like you can bench 160 pounds. Like you can literally get out of bed in the morning and walk to the kitchen to make your breakfast. There are some people that can't do that. Like your body is healthy and functioning and it carries you. It's carried you through 29 years of mental health problems. Like physically your body is phenomenal, right? Like, It's okay to acknowledge that, but it's still really hard sometimes, right? And so I think, like, if you have any solutions as to, like, how we can compliment ourselves better and accept those compliments, it's great. But for me, it's definitely just been something like, A, surrounding myself with people that hold me accountable when I make self-deprecating comments. Oh, yeah. And B, just, like, pushing myself that when when somebody compliments me, my initial response is to want to like argue that, but instead oh, yeah. I make, I make myself say thank you. Or I, I try to make myself Instead of thank canceling you. it out with something. Yeah. So yeah. like, even if somebody, you know, compliments me on something that I do and like, I want to sit there and be self-deprecating and argue. I want to push myself to be like, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I'm arguing in my head, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I do the same thing. It's it's frustrating because uh yeah, it's like for some reason we don't think uh we're do we don't think we're good enough. We don't think we're doing good enough. We could we, we could be doing better and it's that I don't know, it's just always there. Um 
But I think that's what sets people like us apart um, because we also can use that to empathize with other people who really struggle with uh, with just day-to-day things and day-to-day living um, and functioning in this weird world that we live in that keeps getting weirder, it seems like. Uh, every day. Every day. It's, uh, yeah. Um, and we live in Iowa. It's a weird state. Uh, (laughs) i don't think you want to get me started on that one right now i I don't i I think it's too too soon we will not start on that um but oh my god i i I tell a joke i'm like could we just like start over like with everything with when it comes to like our government all that stuff just well, and what's wild about it, Colin, you, you, I mean, you were born and raised in Iowa too, right? Like you've yep. been here your entire yep. life. Yeah, same. And I, I love Iowa. Like I, yeah, love I like being, it here. I, I love being from the Midwest. I very much like when I go and visit my partner and her kids in Texas, I'm like the person like cursing on the road because just people aren't as nice or, and they aren't as like slow paced and like casually going through life. So like there's, there's this conception of like being Iowa nice. Right. And like, I've loved that my entire life. Yeah. People are not not Iowa nice right now. Come on. Iowa yeah. nice shouldn't just be this catchphrase that we use about like daily interactions. You should care about people, even people that are different than you. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's just, I don't know. Um, it's just a lot. And like I said, like I have always loved living here. You know, I've been super proud to be from this place, uh, but it's hard right now. It is, it is really hard right now. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's so weird uh it's so bad it's so backwards to me um a lot of it and because i've had to unlearn a lot of things yeah uh, uh growing up and and uh being raised in yeah i in conservative household and uh i'm just like uh i get some of the ideology i get some of the perspective i get where they're coming from but also it's like I want to be able to I don't know. I grew up in like this bubble, I feel like. And then yeah. I've kind of slowly made my bubble bigger as I've gotten older. And um my bubble has become, you know, more diverse with the people I hang out with because it was, you know, when I grew I went to private school most of my life. Ass high. Yeah, ass high. And uh so yeah, there was, and if anybody was, um, uh, there was okay. Everybody was basically white except for like ten people. Uh, right. And if you were gay, you weren't talking about it. <laughs> like, yeah, like I'm sure. I'm sure that I was the first gay person that your sister was ever friends with. Like I'm sure that she could validate oh, for sure. that for us. Oh, yeah, for one, sure. One hundred percent. Yeah. Because we weren't exposed to that. it was Right, like, and I, I think that goes a long way for something, though, because, like, I don't know, if Abby were here, I'm sure that she'd be like, yeah, I love Dana very much. And, yeah. like, I, th- there's this person that, like, her being gay doesn't change that, right? Like, she's exactly. just a human. Yeah, I've had um, a, fr- a good friend of mine. He's, uh, he's actually bi, but I would say he's he prefers men 
I don't know. It's it, he, if I had to put a percentage on it to be 75, 25, um, he wouldn't care that I described it that way either. He's, he's really funny about it, but um, he's like, you're like my first, he's, I'm his first straight male friend. Gotcha. That, that is just, that hasn't turned into any type of sexual relationship or any type right. of intimate relationship. Well, intimate relationship, can have i also learned that intimate does not necessarily mean like intimate like the way i thought it did when i was younger and absolutely just mean having a deep conversation have a deep relationship a loving relationship with somebody without it being a you know romantic relationship and yeah. i we're we're on that level i mean we're we we're both in recovery um i don't think he would care that he's my sponsee i sponsor him so i've um guided him through a lot of stuff and he's helped me out with a lot of stuff as well because it's kind of like a two-way street and he's told me many times he's just like uh and he tells other people about it and it's one of those things that he compliments me on stuff and i'm just like ah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm uncomfy yeah i'm uncomfortable uh i don't need all these compliments but i never thought about it that way i'm like how how did you how am i the fr-? and he's um 20 he's 28 or 29 he'll get mad for getting me not getting his age right um i'm terrible at remembering that um that and birthdays facebook saves my ass on birthdays so much and if you don't have facebook well then i may forget your birthday it's, it's you know like, what that's okay I, I public service announcement to anybody listening if you are a Facebook warrior that just sends, and that maybe this is too far of a statement out there, I don't care, I'm going to say it anyway. If yeah. you're a Facebook warrior that just sends happy birthday messages to people once a year, you're not a real friend, okay? So yeah. if you if you genuinely care about people, you're going to send them a random message on a Tuesday. And you're going to, I don't care if that random message is just like, hey, I'm thinking about you and I hope you have a great day. Maybe I've been trying to do that more too. Just like randomly reaching out to people like that. I haven't talked to in a long time that I, that I care about. Yeah. Um, And And there's a lot of friends that I have that I could just pick up. We just pick up where we left off. Exactly. It, it goes such a long ways. I, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but in my experience, sending somebody a random ass text message on a Thursday that you saw a sunset that reminded you of them like oh yeah is is so much more important than sending them a message on a holiday or a birthday that like literally everybody else is doing the same thing and yeah. that support like you never know what somebody's day has been like or what they're struggling with or what they may be struggling with at that point in time and like oh, yeah. maybe that is the message that makes them feel like oh my god somebody's thinking of me thank i like, had wow. somebody yeah, exactly. I had somebody literally speaking of Facebook posts um, that it was the the uh, the audacity of this person. Uh, they posted on my birthday. They said happy birthday, and then they they're a business owner and they tagged each of their businesses. Nope. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that I, that that immediately got deleted. I was like, are you serious right now? Like people suck. Uh, it's like some people just. They're so self-absorbed. It's incredible. Yeah. It's just like you're literally, I get using Facebook for marketing. I do it all the time. Come on, man. Like, dude, 
And I'm not saying that everybody has to be everybody's cup of tea. Um, that kind of brings me back to what you were talking about with like the things that we have to unlearn throughout our life. I think yeah. it's really important to think about like, not everyone's going to like you. Yeah. And, and even if you have to like unlearn things and you formulate your own opinions about them and you have different opinions and ideologies and values than other people, that doesn't mean that either of you are wrong or either of you are bad. It just means that you have different perspectives and you v- view the world through a different lens and you value different things. Um, and that's okay, right? We should be, we should be yeah. glad that we have, you know, diversity and creativity and different, and different perspectives. So I, I think it's just like, you know, growing and evolving and changing and growing out of old friendships and into new ones and into new support systems um, has definitely been a, like a really big part of, of my journey as well. Yeah, I think uh, that's where I think a lot of people uh, like who are realistic and talk to a lot of different people from different walks of life are like they see this whole like cancel culture thing and like we need to destroy this person. I think that's very a very small percentage of people like online that want to do that actually destroy people's lives. And then there's like the normal people like me and you are just like, yeah, I I don't really agree with that person, but I don't want them to like their life to be like completely destroyed just because of something they said or so a view that I don't agree with or whatever, like whatever. I'll give the example of Kanye. Everybody's pissed off at Kanye right now. It's like, it's like, I'm not gonna, you know, wish ill will on the guy just because he's doesn't know how to express his opinions or is going to take a hard stance on something. It's like, yeah, is that right? But you also have to suffer, you know, the feedback and the consequences of that. But yeah, this whole like deplatforming people and like taking them off social media and is just really weird to me. Uh, It's kind of like, I don't know. I don't really like it uh personally because i think everybody should be able to voice their opinion even if it's wrong um yeah obviously if you're building like hate groups and stuff like that and you're like doing like you know stuff that's going to cause a lot of people harm but that's different but i don't think uh just erasing somebody from because they said something you don't agree with or that was mean like it's just it's a weird it's like where do we draw the line, you know? And I think it I think it comes back to that that idea that we were talking about earlier like when I was talking about kids in residential treatment. Like it's not if it, by doing that the whole like cancel culture thing, we're we're not addressing the root problem, right? Like we're we're, we're like, addressing something away. very we're reacting to a situation in the moment, right? Like we we hear people using hate speech, right? We could erase the message or delete the tweet, but what are we doing to f- fight systemic racism right like what is the work that we're actually doing at the deeper level that's going to combat this instead of addressing one one instance in in one situation so i don't know it's again a really heavy political topic but it's just like it's the surface level stuff it yeah it's really hard surface level i saw i can't remember the guy's name and i i know he's a podcaster the podcaster I was referring to is Lex Friedman, and I really appreciate him for interviewing Ye and calling out some of the things that he's doing and what's going on and trying to get to the root issue. And 
I really admire somebody for doing that. Anyways, back to the episode. He actually had, it was, you know, multiple, Kanye went on his media run or whatever, where he was just on everything. But he was, there was a guy that had him on and was just like really getting into it. And he was like, he's like, I really want to know. And I, and he started calling him out on his shit. And which, because, you know, people of that status have a lot of people around them that are just going to be like, yes, man. Because, you know, he's got a lot of money and they want to work for him um, or they want to be hit. They want to be friends with him or whatever it is. You know, it's hard to know probably at his level, like who's your friend and who's not. And that 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 would mess me up for sure. (laughs) Like who's really who really gives a shit and who doesn't and having to look over your shoulder and all that. And he was kind of. He was asking him like the deep quite off to send you a uh, a clip of it because it's really cool because he like he's like I don't agree with you but I want to know why you said these things and I want to know where it comes from and what you mean and why don't you trust me and why don't you trust these people yeah. and like getting down to the root of it and it was just a I don't watch a lot of. Uh, or even listen to a lot of podcasts besides my own because I have to listen to the whole episode and edit it. Um, and I don't do a lot of crazy editing. I just do minor editing because otherwise I can get to that place where I'm like, this needs to go or, Perfection, all, the, yeah. or all the ums need to go. And like, then it's not a conversation. Too much. Right. Um, that's what like I just said. I'm right there. Uh, that's what this, that's what the podcasts platform is about is just having those open conversations like that and it's not supposed to be like a you know a a clean interview like a radio interview that's why it's not radio Um, but i I watch clips and i'm going to start doing video more that's why i'm kind of doing like the backdrop here and like i'm gotcha do like some soundproofing and stuff um and uh do the implement the video so i can have like little clips so like nuggets of stuff that comes out of each episode nice. um, and put that on social media because the, I watch a lot of those myself because I don't, and I won't even listen to the episode of the podcast, but I'll at least be familiar with that podcast bit. or follow that or whatever, or it just shows up because TikTok is crazy weird and knows what I want to see. <laughs> um, that shout, algorithm, out to t- shout out to TikTok. That algorithm I mean, is next level. It it got me my girlfriend, so I, I you know oh, really? I can't complain. Yeah, that is that is one hundred percent how we met from a thousand miles away. So, what did you just slide into the DMs or what? I did. I slid right on it. <laughs> I did. Oh, man, I've a, uh, a year TikTok, ago on Monday. I've heard about I've I've heard about this um, with TikTok and Instagram, um, both of those, or even like I have a friend that that uses Facebook. He mostly uses it just to hook up with chicks. But oh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm told I'm not supposed to say chicks anymore. My friend Leslie called me out on that. She's like, don't stop saying chicks. I'm like, it's just up in my vocabulary, but he hooks up with young ladies through Facebook. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I'll say that for Leslie, cause she's going to listen to this anyway. It's not my mom, Leslie. It's my, I call her my comedy mom and she hates that. Um, because they have the same name, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I've heard that about TikTok. So it's going on a year. That's awesome. 
Yeah, you're on Monday, so I must be doing who something. Right. Who followed who first? Oh, I I mean, I think I followed her first. But the, the thing was, like, we had been chatting for three days before she knew my name. Because I wasn't, like, a TikToker, so my TikTok account still said, like, user 8764. And I didn't know that. Okay. Because on my end, I could see, like, my handle, but she couldn't see my name. I so. get people like that all the time. Yeah, and I'm just like, do I add this person? I'm like, wait, no, so- they're in my contacts. Just for three friends, days, but... three days into it, and she's like, "I'm really sorry, but like, what's your name?" <laughs> <laughs> Glad she knows my name now. Um, yeah, and, and it worked out. But yep, the algorithm does some wild things. Yeah, I've had a lot of. Uh, I've I've met one one girl from uh, from TikTok that I talk to occasionally. It's mostly just about like. Her content's really funny, and you know I've been putting out different comedy st- stuff, and uh, so I don't know where I stand there with on that relationship and the long distance thing. But you've seemed to make it work. I, I've uh, I've thought about that, and what's what um what made it so? Because at first, like people are like long distance. I don't think I can do this. Um, was it just because the connection was just so good? You're just like, it's worth it, or like, yeah, is that what I mean, it boils down to. I mean, the algorithm hit the nail on the head. Like, she popped up, she was a high school teacher. Like, I work with kids, she was a high school wrestling coach, which was like, oh my gosh. And, and that's what I initially like messaged her about. I was like, I think it's really cool that like you're giving women visibility in wrestling. Like, that would have yeah. been really important to me when I was little. Yeah. Um, and there, there was, there was just like an instant connection. And, you know, we started talking and she'll tell you the story that like we had an initial conversation and it, apparently I'm the one that stopped the conversation, but then she kept showing up on my, like my feed. And I apparently kept liking messages. So she restarted the conversation by asking if I was stalking her page now. And then from then on, we just, you know, never stopped talking. So. Oh, you were liking her posts and not like, yeah, I wasn't like actually on her page, but they just kept coming up and I guess I liked them. And so she, she saw that as an end to to re-engage in the conversation. And, you know, I'm glad she did. The distance is hard, but you know, when, yeah, there's just, she very much is supportive of, of, you know, kind of like the, the difficulties and the struggles I have, um, struggles with some of her own stuff. But again, that, you know, that just helps you empathize. And I, and loved and cared for it in a very unconditional way. And even when she, and can't, she also, has, and she also has kids too, because that's another layer. Yeah. Like, middle. and yeah, when somebody comes into a relationship with kids, it has to be a conversation like very yeah. early on, you oh, know, yeah. the combination of distance and kids, like there's no point in doing this if there's not the potential for be- it being serious. So, Oh yeah. It was Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Yeah, exactly. You know, and we don't need to get children's emotions involved in this if you're not going to stick around. Exactly. So, you know, yeah, we make it work. Um, we've been able to visit like at least once a month um, since we've started dating. Sometimes, you know, a couple times a month and some longer trips. So she's coming up here with the kids. Uh, the kids are coming to Iowa for the first time the week of Thanksgiving. Um, and it's, you know, it's going to be great. Super excited. Nice, nice. So, you, do you get some? Uh, do you get the week off for Thanksgiving? 
Um, I don't get it off, but I definitely took it off. Yeah, I'm gonna oh, piece see, piece out of work for a while. With me, <laughs> yeah, None that's that. the yeah. Christmas is a little bit better, but um, I work for a benefits company and mm. it's enrollment season. Like, it's all hands on deck. Like, it's throughout the rest of the year. My company is really cool about me taking time off, and I don't really have like a cap but you're not supposed to like abuse it right um of taking time off if you're still listening make sure you leave a review it really helps me reach more people but no surround yourself surround yourself with good people and the and the people that you know love and care for you unconditionally um they'll they'll stick around you know the the good ones too very important yeah and i've i lost sight of that those people for a while and I'm trying to like build back those relationships. Not that I destroyed them, but I just kind of like, you know, when I was partying heavily and they, they didn't really party, I wasn't hanging out with them because you know, that wasn't what they were doing. They were right. being, being adults. And uh, I was still stuck in this phase of like, Oh, I just want to party my life away. And that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, Oh wait, now I'm like in this like building back, days of my life of trying to get stability which i've done a pretty good job of getting that stability back and um and now it's just like i'm at a weird place where what i want to do with my career um because i would like to be in the mental health field but Mm -hmm. i have this weird relationship with school where I, i where i don't like it at all and uh i think I, don't know, I was talking to actually um, my former boss at work about this, and she's like, "Well, the po- you're doing the podcast, and that reaches a lot of people. I mean, you're mm-hmm. doing that, and you don't have to go to any school for that. You can just keep doing that." I'm like, "Yeah, that's probably what I'm going to do for a while. Um, I'm going to still, I would still continue to do the podcast if I went back to school, but right. Um, I don't know if I'm ready for for that much of a change right now." Um, I think I'm just going to stick with the, uh, stick with the podcast, stick with the regular episodes. This is the most consistent I've been with it. And also, yeah, like you're talking about those messages and I get the most random messages from, from people. Um, or just if I run into somebody, they're like, yeah, I really like your, like the podcast and like what you're doing with it. And I'm just like, yeah, it's one of those things where like, I've been able to take a step back. I'm like, yeah, I am actually doing something that's important. Um, and then it gives me that extra drive to to keep to keep going and to keep consistently putting out episodes because there was a while there where I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what I want it to right. be. And then I was like, okay, I think I I think I kind of got a grasp on it now. And it doesn't have to be anything it's a podcast. It doesn't have to be anything like specific. Like we always talk about just this, like it's kind of more just like having a good open conversation about like life and the struggles of life that we deal with. Like everybody has their own story. So it's going to be different every time. And I think people can appreciate that. Yeah. Those, those stories can often, you know, they're a form of connection and like no two stories are going to be exactly the same ever. Like everybody, Everybody has very different experiences, but that's that's something that I found is like if we can 
you know, have honest conversations about our struggles, then, then people, at least in some capacity, should feel less alone because they can see that, you know, somebody else feels this way. Somebody else was in sixth grade and had this wild thought, right? Like it happened. I'm not the only one. I'm not, I'm not crazy, right? We really need to get away from that language. So yeah, um, yeah, those connections are super important. And I, I'll continue to talk. I prefer about... weird, and I I don't think weird is a bad word anymore to me. <laughs> That's fair. I I always go with wild because it is like you yeah. know it's mind it's mind blowing, right? Yeah. It's yeah. it's out there. Um, I always say but... being normal is boring, but yeah, you know what what is normal? But that's very relative too. Yeah. So, but no, I you know I'll continue to you know share my story openly. I'm I'm glad that you had me here today. Like I said, like I haven't talking talked about um you know, the eating disorder pe- thing with, I, I can count the people on one hand. So it's, it's something that I was encouraged to talk about because it is like a very shameful piece of something that I struggle with. And it's, it's a mental health thing that like is filled with a lot of shame for a lot of people. And so it's often not talked about. So I yeah, appreciate it's one you of those just... things where I'm glad you brought it up because I know there are people out there that are going to hear that. Um, I've, had conversations with people that struggle with that that are going to hear that they're definitely going to appreciate you being open about it yeah so it's you know like i said it's it's making that connection it's how it's having the space to do those things and know that you know at the end of the day like i'm sitting here and not judged and i didn't burst into flames when i had the conversation and (laughs) now maybe somebody will hear it and they'll have a conversation with somebody so Keep sharing your stories. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for creating the space. It's I don't know, like I said, it's pretty cool. It it makes the it makes my flights to Texas a little little easier because that's what I what I listen to. So I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna continue to have uh, cool stories. I mean, I'm getting to the point where people have reached or reaching out to me. Um, to like be like, I want to talk about this, and that's really cool. Making um, it big. Like, uh, I'd ran into somebody. Well, now I'm just like at the point where like, I'm at a comedy show and I'm doing comedy. And I was just like, by the way, I also have a podcast and I'm (laughs) shamelessly plugging it. And one lady came up to me after a show and she's going to be a guest soon. And she was like, I really appreciate you bringing up mental health. Cause I, I also said something about, you know, being a mental health advocate as well. And um i found out you know she some of the things that she struggles with and it's like um and it's not something i've had a lot of people talk about and right. just it's gonna be um the more i can get that and even if it's just somebody that wants to come on and talk about you know depression or just anxiety or just work-life balance or yeah things like that like there's other people that can relate to that. So exactly. Well, I appreciate you being on. I try to keep these to like right around an hour and I think we're pretty good on time there. So cool. Cause otherwise, yeah. you know, if you're anything, I like could me, talk all day. Yeah. I could talk all day and, but people's attention spans short, short. Uh, so yeah. no, thanks s- for having me Colin. 